0: Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This weekend, we are continuing our series on Stumbling Blocks, and uh, we're not talking about your money this week, but for some of us, we're talking about something even more difficult, okay? And I just want to say from the onset, I know this is a sensitive subject, and I, I want to be sensitive about it. Next week, I'm going to be talking about disappointment, uh, the stumbling block of disappointment. And so if you know somebody that's in a disappointed season right now or in a disappointed place, invite them to church, but don't tell them what we're talking about, okay? Just invite them to church. Drag them if you have to, because I think next week's going to be one of those Moments, One of those messages and then I'm praying about possibly I wasn't scheduled to preach in a couple of weeks But I'm praying about ending our series with a message either on moral relativism or progressive Christianity Uh, So just be praying about that because I'm there's a growing concern. I have about what I'm seeing, especially among our young people Um, Jesus doesn't change I I just want to say this Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever That means we can't be changing Christianity to become something different tomorrow than it was when Jesus laid out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? So I'm not trying to come at anybody. I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm going to submit this, especially to the younger generation, because you're going to take it. You're going to take it. I I am middle-aged now. My children remind me of that almost every day. Okay? When I wear their tennis shoes, because they say, Daddy, you should wear these tennis shoes, it's funny how then 10 minutes later, they're like, you're such a tryhard, Daddy. <laughs> they don't actually say that, but you can see it in their eyes. But here's the deal. Young people, and, and by young, I mean anything younger than me, okay? You're going to take it. And, and there's a war against you. And so we got to make sure that we're not creating the rules. This book right here laid it out. And we're in a place now where it's like everybody is is saying, well, if I believe it, it's true. That's not what that book says. Okay, so just be praying. I I promise, if you're a little bit riled up, I promise I'm not coming at anybody. I'm just going to try and expose what I see happening in the evangelical world that actually was, was foretold in Scripture. That in the last days, this would happen. What's happening now would happen. Okay, so... Uh, I don't like to, to say I'm going to do it because it's always clearly up to the Lord, but I think that's the direction we may go in a couple of weeks. So just be praying over that, all right? Okay, this weekend, what we're going to talk about is your past. We're going to talk about your past. Not just the past, which is the title of the message, more specifically, we're going to talk about your past. And if your heart is racing a little bit and, and you say, well, I... I do so much work for us to just keep this shoved down, and I don't like to even acknowledge what went down in my past. I don't want to talk about it. Don't make me talk about it. I didn't say you were going to talk about it. I said I was going to talk about it. But what I've been praying is that God would talk to you about your past. Because if your heart is racing, it's quite possibly because the Holy Spirit wants to do something special this weekend. Now, please don't respond to this. Just take this as information uh, because if you're my friend, you already know I don't really care about birthdays. This last week, I turned 44 and I asked the Lord for two things. And it's been a while since I've asked him for a birthday present. But here's what I asked for. Lord, this weekend, for my birthday, would you heal the brokenhearted? And would you set the captive free? That's what I want for my birthday. I just wanna see people who are really hurt about some things in their past to be healed. Jesus, you came to heal the brokenhearted. Scripture declared it. So can I see you do something supernatural this weekend in the hearts of people whose hearts are broken? So let me just tell you, if you've got some stuff in your past that hasn't been fully dealt with, and just the phrase, the past or your past causes you to get a little riled up. Let me just tell you, if I were your enemy, I would pick on you as it relates to your past. Here's why, because I believe the more concerned the enemy is with God moving in your future, the more conviction he has to get you to dwell on your past. Here's another way to say it. It's really hard to move forward when you're always facing the wrong direction. And so if I were your enemy, remember, he didn't know the end from the beginning. Let's not give him too much credit, okay? He does not know the end from the beginning, but he does see God moving the pieces in your life that are for tomorrow and the days ahead, not just for today. He sees God moving them. And so if I were your enemy, the more concerned I am about God moving in your future, the more intent I am to try and get you to fixate and dwell on your past. So just like the last couple of weeks, we're going to answer two questions, Question number one, what's so dangerous about the past-focused me? I'm Gonna give you three answers. Here's answer number one. That me, the past-focused me, is dragged down by my defeats. Matthew chapter 14, we're gonna start together in verse 28. This is the story of Peter walking with Jesus on water. And Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it is you walking on water, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. I, I Just pause there for a second. Put yourself in Peter's situation. Peter was kind of like every once in a while the mouthy one, you know, the impetuous one. And, and if you're Peter, you, you know, he kind of had a little bit of a bragging thing going on. I, I wonder if Peter was hoping Jesus wouldn't respond. You know, he'd be like, no, Peter, I'm coming in the boat. Don't worry. You don't need to come out here with me. And I wonder when Jesus responds in the affirmative and goes, come. Peter was like, Shoot. Because watch what happens next. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, it was in a storm, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Watch this. Imagine being Peter and hearing your hero say these words to you. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got on the boat, the wind ceased. Here's one of my concerns as it relates to defeats, failures, losses. We're bound to repeat any defeat we think defines us. Now, we're in the NBA finals right now, and, and this is a horrible illustration, but just since we're in the NBA finals, and I played basketball growing up, Let's, let's kind of talk about defeat like this. Let's say I was playing for one of the teams and we get to the end of the game and it's a tie game and I'm at the free throw line with less than a half second on the clock. Tie game, I have the ability to win the game at the free throw line. What if as I go to do my three dribbles that I did every time I shot a free throw before I spun the ball, caught it, lined it up and shot it. What if while I'm dribbling I'm thinking about the last time I was at the free throw line in the situation of a big game like this, had a chance to win the game, and I bricked it. Dribble, brick, brick, air ball. Okay, what are the chances if while I'm preparing to win this game, I'm fixated on what happened the last time I had a chance to win the game, but I lost it for us? What are the odds I'm going to make it this time if I'm dwelling on missing it last time? This is what the enemy does with us. He jacks with us while we have a chance to win the game. Don't you understand? That's part of what he does. He's intent on stopping you from enforcing victory on the earth. And so he gets you focused on the failures of your past. Defeats become dangerous when I see them as part of a resume I'll have for a lifetime rather than as part of a record I had for a season. But all of us have defeats in our past. And if I were your enemy... I try and get you so mindful of your defeats that you would personally disqualify yourself from being used to enforce victory on the earth on God's behalf. You've lost too many times. How can God use someone like you? Don't forget, that's the point. He likes to use losers. Because it just rubs it in the enemy's face. When I'm a part of victory, and I know what I'm capable of in my own strength, Without Jesus, I am a loser, which means every time I win, it's because of him. So I shouldn't be so intimidated by defeats, but defeats are something many of us dwell on. Here's the second thing that's so dangerous about the past focused me. Number two, the me, that me defines me by the decisions I most regret. If you're in Matthew 14, flip over to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 69. Some of you are like, you you hear crying babies and things, and you're like, what in the world? And here's why. It's because you've forgotten what it's like to have a little baby. That's why you're thinking that thought. And let me tell you how I'm mindful of that, because I got a -a three-and-a-half-year-old in my house again. Yeah, yeah. And we're fostering again. I got a three-year-old. So... Daddy, I'm done, is a reality of mine every day. So when I hear the crying, I'm like, I totally get it, bro. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not bothering me at all, okay? Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 69. Let's talk about decisions we most regret. And we're going to use Peter as kind of our muse because you'll see at the end of the message, but watch this. This is the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. One of Jesus' insiders. Let's read it together. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. This is the night Jesus was betrayed. Okay, it's all going down. And a servant girl came to Peter saying, you also were with with Jesus of Galilee. But Peter denied it before them all. Not just in front of the, the young woman, in front of them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. Girl, you are crazy. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, Peter denied with an oath. Now he's saying, I promise. Before God, I do not know that man Jesus. Watch verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. In other words, you don't sound like us. You sound like Jesus. Verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear. Peter cusses the person out, saying, I do not beeping know that man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. You think you regret some decisions in your past? Imagine that. I know you got some stuff that that it's hard for you to shake from your past. Decisions you made that you knew were wrong when you made them. And you're convinced to this day that you're still defined by them. Because that's what that little voice says. Let me just remind you, that's not how God talks. But nonetheless, you're hearing that voice. Your decisions define you. You remember when we were growing up, did any of you ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat? Anybody ever hear that? Okay. Can we just analyze that for a second? That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. That's, that, think about this. I'm broccoli? When I eat broccoli? Be careful, Preston, don't have too much broccoli. You are what you eat. Okay, this doesn't even make sense. I don't even know how it was used to get us to eat things we didn't want to eat and not to eat things we wanted to eat think about how ridiculous this is. And I'm trying to poke fun at it on purpose. Here's why, you are as much what you did as you are what you ate. Let that sink in for a second, those of us who may struggle with some decisions of the past. I am what I did. In my opinion, that's only true if you are what you ate. I am looking around at all of you. I do not see any Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream out there. If I did, you'd probably be up here with me. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. You are as much what you did as you are what you ate. I don't think I have to convince any of you that you're not what you ate. Then why do I have to work so hard to get you convinced that you're not what you did? Let me tell you why. Because most of the time, the enemy doesn't care about what you eat, but he most certainly cares about what you did. He loves those decisions that you and I made in our past that were wrong. He loves it. Now, let me just remind you, and we're going to get to this in, in point number two, but you know how foolish it is that he loves all the bad decisions that I made? All he is is reminding me how important the blood of Jesus is to me. So you you can stir it up all you want, but it's covered in blood. You, You can try and bring it up all you want, but some of us haven't gotten that revelation yet. And so we're convinced that we're defined by what we did. And let me just submit this to you, if that's you. The easiest way to confuse yourself into believing you are what you did is to continue doing what's already been done. When, when my, uh, one of my friends got sober, it's been 10 years now. He had been drinking alcohol for many, many years, excessively. You know how hard it would have been for him to convince himself that God had set him free from alcohol if he kept going back to the drink? <laughs> I, I think some of us, while it's something we did in our past, if I'm still doing it today... It's not just in my past, it's in my present. And the reason I feel like it defines me is simply because I'm still doing it. Now, uh, this kind of reminds me back in the day. So one of the great things I got growing up at Gateway in ministry was my heroes let me play armchair quarterback a lot of the time. And I remember one time with Pastor Tom Lane, who for many years was the number two guy there in Dallas, We were at lunch, and he was telling a story uh, about uh, a situation where at the end of a sermon, he went forward to pray with people for altar ministry, and this couple came up to him and said, "Uh, Pastor Tom, we feel called to lead a life group, but we aren't married, we're living together, and we're actively having sex outside of marriage. And, And... I stopped him and I said, hey, can, can I play armchair quarterback on this one? Like, can I, can I guess what you said to them? Now, remember, I was young and stupid, stupid, okay? But I was convinced I knew what he said. He kind of got this chuckle. He said, sure. What, what do you think that I said? Here I go. I think you right there said, you know this is wrong. And I started going down this path of heavy conviction and all this stuff he just sits and listens. And I mean, I thought my speech was fantastic. It was theologically accurate. It was convicting. I get to the end of my little speech and I go, how close am I? He goes, you're not even on the same planet as me. I go, what? I I don't even understand. So what did you say? He said, Preston. I looked him in the eye and said, Stop it. Stop it. You know what's wrong. You know what God's word says about it. Stop it. It doesn't mean you'll be life group leaders tomorrow. But the first step in moving that direction, I can already see the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. Stop Pastor Thomas is one of the people I respect the most in my life as it relates to personal integrity. I thought he would light them up like a Christmas tree back then. And here's what he said. Stop it. So here's my counsel that I lovingly give to anyone who made some wrong decisions in their past, but because they think the decisions, the bad decisions of their past defined them in their present, they're still continuing to do what they did in the past today in their present. I submit this to you. Stop it. Stop Just stop. Stop. You know what's wrong. I don't have to argue with it. You know. I can see it in your eyes. You already know. It's wrong. Just stop. It's one of the first steps, one of the big steps, in moving on from some mistakes in my past and stepping into the present God is wanting to anoint me for. Here's the third answer to the question, what's so dangerous about that me? That me is dominated by the dark deeds done to me. Look at Matthew 16. I know this isn't the best scriptural correlation, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context to help you see why I'm using it. The past focus me is dominated by the dark deeds done to me. I know this isn't everyone, but this is some of us. 20 plus years in vocational ministry, You'd be surprised how many times in ministry sessions something comes up from someone's past that was done to them that was dark, that was evil. Matthew 16, verse 22. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Jesus is talking about why he's got to go to the cross. Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. In other words, no way that's going to happen to you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Jesus looking you in the eyes and saying that? You're an offense to me for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's why I'm, I'm using this as an example of dark things that can be done to someone. Because right before this, something amazing happens. Peter has a huge moment in his life. Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? Peter's like, well, some say this guy, some say this guy. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter goes, you are the son of God. Jesus goes, Peter, you're not smart enough to know that on your own. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It was a holy moment. Peter had heard the voice of God. Jesus asked the question, and Peter, hearing God speak, says, you're the son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then right after that, Jesus starts talking about, yep, and here's why I came. I come to die for the sins of the world. Peter goes, not you, Lord. And Jesus says, this is my, my perspective. Jesus says, Peter, two minutes ago, you were hearing the voice of my father and yours. And now you are listening to the voice of Satan himself. Peter can happen that fast. That fast, Peter. You can go from a holy moment to Satan moving in a dark one like that. I know it's not the best scriptural uh, passage for those of us who've been raped or sexually abused or physically abused or emotionally abused or stolen from or abandoned in the middle of the night by a parent. I know it, it doesn't seem like the best passage, but I'm trying to help you understand, no matter what was done to you, you need to be reminded we live in a fallen world and in a fallen world every day in that evil world. Evil things are done by evil people, which hurt innocent people. I wish I could say it were not so, but it is. And you know that it is. And some of us have had some dark things done to us. And some of us haven't even ever told anyone before. Because we're so afraid it will define us. And so we push it down and we act like it never happened. But we never deal with the broken heart it created. It's part of why we're going to talk about disappointment next week. God can handle your disappointment even in him. Even in him. And truth be told, the number one type of person I've been praying over this week wasn't the person who had the defeats. It wasn't the person who made bad decisions. It was this person. The person who's had evil things done to them that they never asked for, let alone desired. So let's get to point number two. How do we deal with all this? How do we deal with it? Number one, and we're going to address each one. Remember, uh, the first answer to the question, what's so dangerous about the past? Focus me, was on failures. So, responding to failures, how do I deal with the, the defeats of my past? Learn and move up. I'm going to give you some directional advice with each one of these. Learn and move up. God intends for losses to be educational, not unshakable. educational philippians chapter 3 verse 13 dear brothers and sisters i've not achieved it but i focus on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead i press on to reach the end of the race you know how hard it is to run the race with the goal of finishing the race when you are dwelling on a past lap of the race Can I just give you a piece of advice for all of the people watching you run? They're not fixated on that lap, just you are. And if you've got somebody in your life who keeps reminding you of that lap, you may want to create some distance between you and them because that's not how God talks. Now, if you haven't dealt with it and there are mistakes, okay, but what I'm saying is you have a defeat in your past and you have somebody who keeps reminding you of it, Let me tell you why. They feel so much like a loser. They've got to make you feel like one so they don't feel like they're the only one. So you may need to create some distance relationally between you and them. I got some mistakes in my past in this job. It's so funny. Just studying the way the church world works today. You know, I totally see this. It's like everybody in the pew... Doesn't want the pastor to ever make a mistake. And then when he does, they totally bounce on him. They're just out. So some of you don't even want to hear me talk about my mistakes. But can I can I remind you one of the reasons why I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in this job? Because I refuse to let you put me on a pedestal. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. And so I'm going to consistently talk to you about some of the mistakes I've made. And I know the book, the church Planners hand guide might say, don't remind them of your mistakes because then they'll struggle trusting you. If the only way you can trust me is for me to bat a thousand, you'll never trust me. I've made some mistakes in this job. And some of them go back to the early days involving Hiring. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew what I'd been around, but I'd never had to institute a hiring process before. And so I made some mistakes. I actually hired someone once for a job, and then less than 60 days later, they told me they didn't want to do the job I'd hired them to do. That wasn't their fault as much as it was mine. How did I hire somebody who didn't even want to do that anymore? Well, I had to learn why I did it. I got focused on some of the wrong things. And I remember, and and Brad can tell you this, he he was with me through it. When I made the mistake, obviously when when you hire someone to do a job and then they say, I don't want to do this job anymore. You got to deal with it. And not to mention, you know, kind of probably shouldn't take it in the job. So I'm beating myself up. Not that person, I'm beating myself up. How did I hire somebody? How did I not see they didn't want to do the job? And I hired them anyways. Then I have to lovingly transition them off the staff and to take care of people. Then you got to pay severance. I hadn't even been on, on the staff for very long. And I put, I put a calculator to, pen and paper to everything it cost. And I was beating myself up horrifically over this mistake until finally the Lord broke in. And said, Preston, how much did kindergarten cost your parents? I was like, I don't think anything. It was, what about elementary school? I mean, a little bit. It was at the church. How about junior high? Well, I was playing sports. Cost a little bit more money. How about high school? Well, it was private school. Cost a couple thousand dollars. How about college at GCU? Cost $12,500 a year. You wanted to go on and get your master's. How much was that going to be? $25,000. He said, isn't it interesting? that the higher the level of education, the more expensive it gets. And please hear me, I I did not need the Lord to justify my mistake. That's not how I roll. But I did need to see my mistake differently. Here's why. That's what he said next. He said, Preston, if you will learn everything I'm trying to teach you through this mistake, it will save my church hundreds of thousands of dollars for the rest of your career. But if you can't learn, then this isn't an education. It's a failure. Please hear me. I'm not trying to make an excuse. But now, when I make a mistake, which is a lot of the time, so as it is with you, I want to learn from it. God's trying to teach me something. The only way to keep moving up spiritually from grade to grade to grade is to learn when we make mistakes. Don't ever forget the Christian life is a series of open book tests. How many of us love open book tests? Some of you are really smart. That wasn't me in school. And anytime time the teacher or professor said, this is an open book test, I was convinced Jesus was coming back. That the angels were singing, here it is. The Christian life is a series of open book tests. Here it is. Got the answers right here. It doesn't mean I'm going to bat a thousand. And when I don't, I got to remember God desires that my mistakes be educational not foundational, not so personal to me that they define me in my heart and in my mind. A loss isn't a loss when I learn something from it which helps me win next time. Here's the second thing. Remember uh, the second answer to question number one was the decisions we regret. How do we deal with decisions we regret? Be forgiven and move past Be forgiven and move past. The freshman, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. So don't try and tell me all that stuff. What I've done is really, 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 really bad. Okay? Let me read you a verse. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Watch this next phrase, from all unrighteousness. Either what you did is part of the all or it's not. You can't get around it. It is. God did not say in his word, if you confess your sins, I will forgive and cleanse. Everybody else's sins and uncleanliness except yours. Not yours because it's too bad. Nope, but everybody else, I'll deal with it. They're the all, not you. That's not what God's word says. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. In my opinion. The second best part of God's forgiveness is the cleansing. Let me show you the best part, in my opinion. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't just cleanse us. He removes it from us. The best part of God's forgiveness is the removal. He moves it out of the way. So that means for those of us who wake up every morning of our lives and we feel like we're supposed to walk this path, some of us see the mistakes, the decisions we made in our past that we regret as mines in a minefield. And so we're doing our best just to hop by them and get around them. And here's what God says in his word. Press I sent my son to die for your sins. If you'll confess them, don't hide them from me. Don't run from them. Confess them. Receive what my son did for you. I will forgive you of those sins. But not just that, Preston. I will remove them as far as the east is from the west. They will not be in your path every day of your life. Tell me how that's not the best news in the world. That isn't good news. That's the best news. That the decisions I regret from my past that I knew were wrong when I made them because of the blood of Jesus haven't just been cleansed. They've been removed. And in divine confidence, God goes on record and says, "In cupcake, you'll never be able to find them. They're as far as the east is from the west. Do you want to deal with the decisions in your past that you most regret? Be forgiven. Person, that seems too simple. It's not simple. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. You just have to receive it. Think about this. One of the reasons Jesus died for you so that you wouldn't be defined By what you did, but rather would be defined by what he did for you. So every time the enemy comes to you to talk about what you did in your past that you regret. You know, I've heard this one line here. Every time that the devil tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. That's good. (laughs) It's good. I've heard that one before. (laughs) But here's what I like to do. I don't want to just remind him of his future. I want to remind him of what was done for me in the past at the cross. You want to bring up my past? I'll bring up the past. That's why this message is entitled the past, not your past. Because the best way to overcome what was done in your past was not to focus on your past, but what was done for you in the past. That is not just good in the past or the present, but forever forever. I'm defined by what was done for me in my past, not what was done by me in my past. That's not an excuse to sin. It actually excites me to try to sin less. You want to overcome? Be forgiven and move past. Then here's the third thing for those who've had something dark, evil done to them, be healed and move in. Be healed and move in. An unhealed hurt, in my opinion, can keep me on the outside looking in at the abundant life Jesus died to give me. And here's one of the amazing things. Jesus shows up, letting everybody know he's ready for his three-year run of ministry. He goes into the synagogue The scroll is handed to him. Jesus goes right to the verse that says, Here's why I came. I came to heal the brokenhearted, I came to set the captive free. He goes off. Jesus let us all know one of the biggest reasons he came to the earth was to heal the brokenhearted. I don't care what your Instagram page looks like with all the smiles and all the the cute outfits and all that stuff. If you still struggle to fall asleep because of what somebody did to you in your past, faking it isn't a sign of healing. You don't have to fake it. But Preston, I've tried everything. You don't know how many countless hours of counseling I've been through. I get it. But let me just say, Jesus came to heal your broken heart. Something supernatural can happen in a moment. And it won't come down to what you can or can't do. It will come down to what Jesus came to do. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.